Kia ora koutou. Welcome to the panel. RNZ National. Wallace Chapman here. I'm with Cindy Michener and Nick Ward. Malapropisms, yes. That's what they called my partner. Thought it was a doggy dog world rather than a dog eat dog world. <laughs> so she. <laughs> so she thought it was a term about things being cute rather than savage. It's a revelation for her. Um, dear Wallace, we have a district court judge in Aurohe who says inevitable when something is a certainty, uh, says Widamu. Uh, Paul says, I thought antiques were antiques until I was in my mid-teens. <laughs> um, without further ado, my old manager used to slip that into every speech. I won a bet with him over tender hooks. Uh, and a couple more camper van trips. Camper van trips, fun, utter freedom and adventure. You will enjoy it ten times more than your kids. Just give them a device and they won't bother you. You oh. can spend two to three weeks. We're going to be talking about devices soon uh, in the South Island when they spend it on Minecraft. What could go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> and best little cafe, someone vouchers for the Birdwood Cafe in Christchurch. There you go. It's ten past, coming up to ten past four. Sailing away. The American tr- Cup dream is it over? Well, it's over at this stage. Minister responsible for the America's Cup, Stuart Nash, has confirmed the joint Crown Auckland Council offer to host the next regatta has been declined by the Board of Team New Zealand. Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern expressed she wanted New Zealand to host the 37th America's Cup here as fears grew of an overseas defence with fresh options emerging. Minister Stuart Nash said at the end of the day, the America's Cup is a global commercial operation. It's an international business as much as a sporting contest. Mm. Potential government funding had been listed at $99 million. The offer involved cash and in-kind support. Meanwhile, uh, a surprise venue tipped to bid 2024 America's Cup over over Auckland, Cork in Ireland. Now, one of New Zealand's top sailing experts is Penny Whiting. Penny won, sorry, was awarded an MBE in 1993 for her services to sailing. Penny, welcome to the panel. Well, Wallace, welcome to you. Lovely <laughs> day here in the big Auckland. Isn't it? You're, you're, not out of, you're not on the water now, are you? No, no, I was thinking about mowing the lawns. All right. <laughs> hey, look, so this Crown Auckland Council offer to host an extra regatta has been declined by the Board of Team New Zealand. What are your thoughts? Disappointed? Well, uh, yes, of course. It, you, there'd be something wrong if we weren't disappointed. But this is an incredible event, and New Zealand is the holder of the America's Cup, and wherever it goes, we are still the holder of the America's Cup. And I believe to defend it properly, we have to do it properly in a way where we can win it and bring it back here if oh. it's going offshore. So what 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 is I mean what is the process? There've been three months of negotiations. Uh, I understand there is the doorway still isn't closed entirely. There there, there may be a very slim chance, a one or two percent chance. Oh, I think it could be a little higher than that. One to two is pretty low. I, I, there is still a possibility. That it could be in New Zealand, okay. but it isn't. It isn't looking good. The tenure of the meeting at the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron last night, we were all ears. We were learning. We were right. listening, and um, I, I just, um, I think it's um, we're on tender hooks at right. the moment. Penny, it's Cindy here. I wonder, did we miss a trick in not doing a multi-year deal? Um, Because, you know, Phil Goff was saying 
that they'd put all the infrastructure investment in, uh, you know, based on, you know, more than one defence of the cup. Could we have done a multi-year deal right up front? Well, possibly, Cindy, but it still boils down to money. They still need money to fund these teams, and that's personnel uh, the test craft and bits of equipment that they have to build and test rigor- rigorously. It's a twofold thing there, and I'm not quite sure that if, if a, a, an agreement like you just suggested was put in place, whether they'd be able to honour it. So if they don't have the money to mm. keep the 60-strong team, you know, we don't have anything. But the government's not the only source of money. I mean, we've got Peter, people like, is it uh, Wallace, uh, Nick, is it Peter Teal? Really, he's a New Zealand citizen and he's one of the world's I'm not familiar with the sort of money or whether or not he put people. any money in. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we can ask him. There's a, there's a list of, like, 25 incredibly rich people that want to come to New Zealand that I think, um, you know, um, trade and enterprise have got. Right. The government's not the only place. We could have a, a public-private partnership. See. And I guess that was the point that Minister Nash said, Penny, that uh, the, saw, the, the, the bidding is now open. There is uh, an availability for others to come into the breach. But I guess it would be a big ask even for investors to come up with <laughs> the likes of $100 million or even $200 million, uh, which is kind of what they want. Well, yes, it is a huge ask. It's definitely a possibility. Hmm. Um, A New Zealand investor could come in or even an overseas investor could come in wanting to be part of the slice of the New Zealand action. But, boy, we've got to get something in place so that we can um, attempt to sail a regatta and get the boats up and race-worthy. The incredible 156-page document from the New York Yacht Club, um, out of the 156 pages, there was quite a lot of waffle. But the one thing that they did say was that they'd consider putting on a $75 million cap um, oh. uh, and and that that seems quite like quite quite a sensible cap. So that's 120, 130 Kiwi uh, dollars um, if we're talking euros or American dollars. And you know something like that could work. And Grant uh, was even open to suggestions, perhaps like that. But look, the bid, the the interest will be in the next couple of three weeks, the next month. All sorts of offers will be put in front of the board of Emirates Team New Zealand and, you know, they have the choice to look at them, not look at them, uh, or work or massage them and work them up. Interesting. All right. So that hasn't been, that hasn't so much been uh, in the press, has it? Uh, A 75 million US cap, that may be one solution here, but what do you think, Nick Ward? Well, an interesting thing that Penny said there right at the beginning is, uh, we as New Zealand benefit from this, whether or not it's in New Zealand or not. Uh, I remember with the first America's Cup, I was in San Diego and where New Zealand oh. had won it and I was wearing a New Zealand t-shirt you know the, the KZ whatever it was and a guy came up to me on the street and said I will buy that t-shirt off you now for 20 bucks really? and I, I went bare chested for the and so that <laughs> this Kiwi benefited from it overseas and you know we're there and we're, we're New Zealand is showing ourselves on the world stage and we just happen to be selling, showing ourselves on the world stage in Cork you'd or agree, in, you'd, in you'd, Dubai you agree or with that Penny? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's an absolutely fair comment. And, you know, the tax take, GST take for the New Zealand government was, was always going to be high should all of the boats be able to come in in a pre-COVID world. But, you know, it wasn't. We've got to live with what we've got. And to me, we've got to get an event going and we've got to get out on the water and win it fair and square on the water with our sailing expertise. Penny, do you have to be in it to host it? You know, reading the background papers, Cork, you know, Ireland have never been, they've never had a boat in the America's Cup. So can you host the America's Cup without having an entrant? Probably, yeah. Mm. Look at a lingy, look at a lingy on the lake in Switzerland. And then they chose to go to Valencia to race their event. No, yeah, you can. Uh, Cork is certainly a very interesting place to choose. (laughs) Uh, But I think that's going to be one of many in the next few weeks. I really do. Lovely to have you on, Penny. I appreciate your time as always. Thank you. That is uh, Penny Whiting, who was awarded an MBE in 1993 for her service to sustaining just briefly around the pound because a few uh, sentiments coming through here. Uh, not a huge amount, but a bit of few saying, what an obscene amount of money when our nurses, for example, mm. are struggling to spend that sort of money on an event, 100 million, 200, whatever, what do you think, briefly around the panel, or is it worth it? Well, as you know, I don't, I don't live here in Auckland and so experience a lot of the sentiment outside of Auckland about it. This is something, the America's Cup is something for Auckland. It's, although we do watch it and celebrate it. I don't for think Auckland. that's fair, Nick. Well, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not Auckland, saying it myself. But... I'm not saying it myself. I'm reporting, you know, what I have heard. But what do you, you think? Know? Well, I, I, I think it is for all of us. It is for all of us. But if it was, it doesn't need to be in Auckland to still be for all of us. We can celebrate around the world. So it's not we can have centres throughout New Zealand where we celebrate watching it in, in Cork. <laughs> okay. Bobbing around like a cork. See, I mean, I, th- I think the, the problem is when we start comparing amounts of money across lanes. You know, it's like, oh, why are we having the bike lane? Because that costs so much money when the nurses are only getting this much money. Why are we having the America's Cup when the nurses are only getting this much money? It's quite a, a difficult argument to be comparing across lanes all the time because it just isn't like that you know okay nice to uh, have your thoughts on that thank you 18 past four 1.2 million victims a year but only a quarter bother going to police this from a crime and survey victims survey uh now uh, nearly a third of all adults became victims of crime last year but only a quarter of all crimes were ever reported to the police people say the most common reason for not reporting offenses was that it was too trivial, there was no loss or damage, or it was, well, they felt it was, wasn't worth reporting, followed by the feeling that police couldn't have done anything, uh, reports uh, Elizabeth Binning for the New Zealand Herald. Burglary, fraud and deception, harassment and threatening behaviour were the most common crimes, making out more than half of all offending victims suffered. But very few people ever bothered going to police. Catherine McPhillips is Executive Director of HELP, a charity that supports survivors of sexual violence. Catherine Kiara, welcome. Kia thanks. Quite an astonishing statistic there, 1.2 million victim of crime, but just a quarter report to police. What do you make of that? Uh, well, it's not surprising to us because, as right. you can imagine, in you know, the area of sexual violence, it's even lower. So only 8% right. of adults are reporting um, incidents of sexual violence to police. 
So, yeah, it's kind of par for the course. We don't always expect a lot of police, even though our police are often overwhelmed with a number of reports they're already dealing with. There, I can imagine there are many reasons for not reporting crime, but what, what is what is the main issue? What's one of the what, what is the main reason? Do you think, Catherine? Um, well, big issues for the people we see is that they may not expect to be believed, or you know, a lot of people grapple with feeling self-blame to start with, or sometimes they tell another person what's happened to them, and that person blames them. That, so then they're like, "Well, I'm not going to go to police and be blamed oh. again." Which I'm not saying that police do blame, but I think these are public expectations that people have. And I think also that, you know, we generally know from television probably that, you know, going through a criminal justice process following rape or sexual assault is pretty horrendous. And so, you know, you have to be pretty strong to decide to do that. It can take a long time, several years of your life, still bound up with this thing that you just want to get over. So, yeah, lots of people don't report. So we have a panel here. Cindy, what do you think? Thoughts? Uh, well, Catherine, one of the things that sort of amazed me when I read these figures was how would our police system actually stand up if everyone did report? So, you know, we, we're already saying, you know, we don't have enough police to be on the streets, you know, to, 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 to carry out their work in the way we would want them to. So imagine if instead... If the whole 1.2 million people started to report their incidents, we our system would just break. What, you know, what are your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I completely agree with you. And as taxpayers, you know, we would need to support the government putting way more money into policing if everybody was going to report because yes, they're stretched already. Nick, uh, well, I, you know, the the thing that I that take out I take out of this is just from a personal point of view. I mean, I've been a victim of crime, it, not a huge crime, but a crime, and I was too embarrassed to bring mm-hmm. it up. I felt so. You didn't uh, report? No, I didn't report it. I, it. It wasn't a big crime. Someone took my wallet, and I, I handed it over it, happily, but then felt foolish about it later on. I didn't fight back. I didn't do, you know, I didn't do anything. I didn't challenge Did they the person. A gun? No, they didn't have a gun. They a just knife? They, they, no, they were just a lot bigger than me, <laughs> and and they wanted it. And I was and I did ask oh. if I could have the wallet back because, uh, but um, that happened a long time ago. It happened a long time ago. But I remember feeling the sense of embarrassment. And anyone said you should talk. To them. I said no, no, no. I was just embarrassed about it more than anything. And when you were talking about the the, the victims of sexual assault, I mean it's twenty thousand times worse, yes, yeah. you know. And I, that, that I wouldn't report a wallet, but r- reporting being, you know. No, it's this this underlying human trait, which is embarrassment. And let's face it, in New Zealand, New Zealanders in our psyche don't want to make a fuss, mate. No, I just want to... Yeah, just a... yep, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And I think when we've been um, harmed and made to feel vulnerable, we also want to feel strong again. So we don't want to stay in that place of being a victim for long. We want to go, no, I'm all right, she'll be right. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I want it to go. I want to have forgotten it. Let's just move on. That thing happened and let me be, yeah, let me be strong again. So just finally, Catherine, so is this a matter, a matter of encouraging all victims to come forward no matter how small the crime or indeed how large the crime? Because if you look at the crime stats, this really is only part of the picture. You're not getting the full picture. 
Yeah. Um, so we don't encourage everybody to go forward. Like it, okay. it's such a massive journey that people need to make that decision for themselves. Right. But we would really like to see lots more um, alternative possibilities. So, you know, restorative justice, for example, is, is a better fit for some people than going through a criminal justice system. So having yeah. that widely available for people would be another option. Thank you, Catherine. Nice to have you on the program. Uh, that you. is Catherine McPhillips, Executive Director of HELP, a charity that supports survivors of sexual violence. 24 past for the panel. Nick Ward and Cindy Mitchin are with me today. Flu cases have been rare so far this year, largely due to closed borders, better hygiene and mask-wearing habits. Just three cases of the seasonal flu have been reported this year, and all of them in managed isolation. Last year, there was no seasonal flu circulating in the community. So with that in mind, will uptake of the flu vaccine be lower? With us is Dr Nikki Turner, Director of the Immunisation Advisory Centre. Dr Turner, kia ora. Kia ora. So have you, been, have you been surprised by just how rare the flu has been in the last year? Yes, I think so. I mean, we are aware that the the, mecha- the things that stop the spread of COVID also reduce the spread of other respiratory viruses. But the huge success we had last year was quite extraordinary, that we had no flu last year and we had a significant reduction in lots of other viruses. It was quite amazing. Mm. I guess that really speaks to the fact that, I mean, there's the closed borders, of course, but things like better hygiene and mask-wearing habits have really worked. Yeah, I think so, and and way more than we realised, the importance of social distancing, washing your hands, and simple things that we didn't used to do, like staying home when you're sick and oh. not spreading our drugs to other people, you know, like instead of going to work with our coughs and colds, keeping them away from others. These things seem to have made a big difference. So on that, because flu, you know, as you've said in the article, is and can be serious, Is this actually going to the future a reminder to actually keep on those habits such as staying home, washing your hands and such like? Yeah, I hope so. I hope we don't learn the really important, we don't forget the really important messages from last year, that they really make a difference. Alongside vaccination, all these social distancing mechanisms can really reduce the spread of flu in our community and and make such a difference to people's health. So do you still encourage anyone to get the flu vaccine? Yes, we need the vaccination as well um, because we can't completely stop it. We, we have no flu now, but it is only a plane ride away. We are already seeing other respiratory viruses coming in since we've opened the border with Australia. So flu will come back into the New Zealand community. We can't predict when. So we do have to protect ourselves in all these different ways. And so vaccination is really important, both for high-risk people, but for the rest of us around them. So we stop the spread of flu. That's what we're learning is not just protecting ourselves as individuals, but stopping the spread of these viruses with all these mechanisms. All right, Dr. Nikki Turner, thank you. My pleasure. Yeah, interesting point there, Nick, in terms of uh, keeping those um, habits going. I mean, hand washing, for example, that was really, really <laughs> encouraged and uh, sort of a lot of uh, 
a, a lot said about washing your hands properly at the start of the pandemic, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. Well, mm. For me, uh, remember there was all those horror stories about the mints at, uh, at, at restaurants. There'd be a mint, but don't touch the mints because <laughs> people have had their dirty hands from going to the toilet. They've touched the mints there. And so I never touch the mints. Oh. Ne- no, never touch the mints. Oh, okay. I think that's why they package them all. Yeah, now. that's They're why they have them wrapped up. Yeah. Some, some, yeah. Don't, some just have a little spoon. What do they? We yeah. use the spoon. I use the spoon and yeah. just put the mint on my hand. <laughs> but what do you think of this, Nikki? I'm oh, sorry, Cindy. <laughs> uh, well, I will get jabbed for the flu and, you know, mm. COVID 19. I mean, I'll have everything possible. I worry about um, how many of us weren't washing our hands when we went to the toilet. That's the thing. You know. I look at, well, that wasn't that was that it's, was uh, that, our hygiene must have been terrible. Well, yeah, that's what that's kind of an inference, isn't it? That, that our hygiene, or not, not uh, so terrible, but maybe it's got a lot better. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I we've think, actually learnt and been educated, Nick and Cindy, <laughs> to actually when you when you go to the bathroom, wash mm. your hands with soap and water, twenty seconds, and dry properly. That type of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's the, I think the education thing has been uh, really important. I I have a little friend that I look after. He comes to my place after school sometimes. And I heard him counting as he washed his hands. Yeah. Aww. Uh, I know, cute. Um, I'd never never heard that before, but he was counting. I, I, yeah. I was in LA when COVID broke out over there. There were eight, eight cases where I was, and everyone was saying, wash your hands by singing happy birthday. And so <laughs> I was one. doing that, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. All right, um, a large response regarding actually some wonderful uh, uh, texts about your community cafe, a bit of a shout-out because we're going to be talking about that later on. But also your, I guess, what's known as malapropisms or words that perhaps you um, thought were, thought meant something else. Uh, and this, this, this one wins the uh, correspondence of the afternoon. Now, Ingrid says... My ex-husband, he's from Fiji, he thought bluff oysters were fake. That is bluff. <laughs> after, a, after a bluff and bubbly event where he was well wined and dined, he commented on the way home how amazing real, the, amazingly real the oyster tasted. He reckoned that he just couldn't tell the difference despite they were bluff. <laughs> he had us in stitches and when... He too realised they were actually real and that bluff is a place. He couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, and call I, your bluff always. Yeah, yeah. Do yeah. you think bluff was pretending to be something else as well? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> this isn't actually even a town. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, and Ireland does have an American Hug Cup history. They have a, uh, a yachting club going back from the, to the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the Royal Cork Yacht Club was founded in 1720. And what about Sir Thomas Lipton, Lipton Tea, and the series of boats named Shamrock? So thank you for that. Was With he us, Irish, Sir Thomas uh, Lipton? Sir Thomas Lipton, Lipton Tea. I, was I assumed British, but maybe Irish. Well, uh, I don't, I'm not a tea yeah, drinker. No. I can't help you there. <laughs> well, I am a tea drinker, but I don't drink Lipton <laughs> Tea. Uh, it's 4.30 on the panel. I'm the National City Michener and Nick Ward. It's time for the headlines with Marama Tepole.